0: to get dope.
1: Everybody. It's a Friday, January sixth, one o two PM on the West Coast. Got a fun one for you today. Sitting here with Abby Martin. Hi, Abby. You were muted. Say hi again.
0: Hello, Mike. Thanks for taking us into this extremely dosed subject. Welcome to DOSed, everyone. This is your host, Abby Martin. Two years ago, the Pentagon announced it was formally investigating the phenomenon of UFOs. Now they call them UAPs, standing for Unidentified Aerial Phenomena even promoting the release of their own classified footage of these strange incidents. Last year, they set up the all-domain anomaly resolution office, which asked eyewitnesses to submit reports of UFO sightings. And all of the sudden, mainstream media, military officials, and even politicians like Marco Rubio were treating what had been long considered science fiction as having a new legitimacy. At minimum, something that should be taken seriously and dedicate significant resources to of course it's not always been that way and it begs the question why is it happening now ufo stories have always been dismissed out of hand as just lies or delusions of people watching too much x-files even when very credible people investigating compelling evidence violate the taboo it's turned their careers upside down And there's no story that embodies this more than what is known as the Ariel School Encounter in Rua, Zimbabwe. It's the subject of a new film titled Ariel Phenomenon. That's Ariel like the name of the school. A-R-I-E-L which tells the story of what I've always thought was the trippiest thing I've ever heard. The witnesses nearly three decades later and the two men who staked their professional careers on it. After the 1994 mass sighting on a children's playground, a Harvard psychologist, psychiatrist, excuse me, and a BBC war reporter were among the only serious investigators and were so captivated and captured by what they found, they made it a central focus of their work at great cost to their reputation. I encourage everyone to watch the film themselves, which you can stream now on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, and more, I recently watched it, it's extremely well done, and whatever you think about what actually happened, if you believe the witnesses or not, there's no denying this is an extremely dosed incident. If you don't believe them, it's the most bizarre and consistent mass hallucination ever documented. At the other end, it could be the most witnessed incident of an actual alien encounter. I'm very excited to now be joined by the film's director, Randall Nickerson: Randall, thank you so much for coming on DOST. Hi, Abby. uh thank you. That was just an amazing uh synopsis you just did.
2: I appreciate that.
0: Randall, I appreciate your film. Um it's really incredible to actually ha- see this all come together because I just learned about this in the last year or two and it really shook me to the core. So I was super stoked to see that this film came out soon after that and Followed up with all these people and really, you know, tied up a lot of these loose ends. And, you know, I I did give kind of a brief synopsis, but I want you to first talk about this fascinating mass sighting event at the aerial school in Zimbabwe that took place on September 16th, 1994. I mean, just set the stage for us. Explain what exactly happened and how many witnesses there were to testify to this.
2: Um there the The incident happened on a Friday uh, in the morning at around ten thirty uh, on the playground of uh, this uh, primary school um, in rural Zimbabwe. Uh, there were citing there were uh, reports from people all over Zimbabwe and even other countries uh, for several days before that and after that um, but this was um, seemed to be the most unique and main event, so to speak, where it involved a lot of, uh, children and, um, and adults as well. Um, you know, that were in the area that saw it, but it was the main thing that was seen was by children. Um, they had gone on to break that Friday and, um, had uh, seen this thing in the sky before anything. They saw this thing in the sky they were watching it got back to playing and you know and then all of a sudden that thing uh, was set down in the trees um, about 150 yards uh, uh, from their playground boundary which I mean we're in Africa here so um, it's a it's a very different uh, set of rules uh, with wildlife because there are deadly snakes. There are deadly animals out there. So you, when, when there's a boundary there, you don't cross it. Um, because it was mainly brush past that boundary. Um, so they just watched this. The kids gathered over time. Um, and you know, there's, uh, uh, several reports from the kids themselves back at the time. Um, was it, it was there for about, this was a 15 minute episode. Um, and, uh, they saw these weird looking creatures come out of it. Um, one of them, uh, was on the top of this, uh, silver lenticular oval. I mean, basically that's what they, the word used the most, oval shaped, um, very, sh- bright lights and then very shiny on its surface and uh these creatures were in black large head i mean it's kind of funny because these are all the reports that we've been hearing forever (laughs) you know in a way uh that this very similar description um and one of these at least uh approached the playground uh toward the kids and uh there was a lot of panic on the playground um they did they didn't really understand what they were looking at to be honest with you i think it was just so weird for them um and then there was this moment where um i don't know nobody really knows how long it lasted where there was direct eye contact with the this the group that had gathered on the the right at the edge just to watch this and uh and, uh, there were, you know, several things that happened in those, in that time period. And then they, a hundred kids ran, sh- uh, screaming into the teacher's room, uh, where they were having a meeting. Uh, that's pretty much, uh, the, the basic synopsis. I mean, it's it's just, there's so much detail. Right. That's, that's what, uh, uh, really sh- swayed me, you know? I went in gung ho and then I, you know, you go through this stage of questioning, like, well, hang on a second. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, uh, and then I started to find the, wit the, the, those children, you know, they were age six to 13 years old that had witnessed this and, uh, started to find them and speak to them. A lot of them did not want to go on camera. Um, and to hear it from them in the present day you know, tell the same story even though they hadn't you know seen any videos of themselves or any I mean I have lots of videos that nobody's ever seen that aren't in the film and uh yeah I wish it, that was a shocker I mean I I had a many moments where I was just like wow you got to be kidding me you know what I mean it's just, just the the scope of it the um yeah
0: well, that's what is so incredible about the documentary, Randall, is that you don't narrate anything. You're not leading the no. viewer or trying to debunk what these kids and then adult versions of themselves that we see in the original footage. You just let them speak for themselves. And and what's so compelling is just their own testimony and how it they corroborate each other and how consistent it is Nearly three decades later, I want to go back to the actual event itself because it's so fascinating. You laid down pretty much the basics there, that there was some sort of craft in the sky, um, Mm. lights, very bright lights that they saw. And this Mm -hmm. landed in a brush area that they knew that they couldn't really approach. And one of the beings that they witnessed actually approach the children and made direct eye contact now how did they there were several like visual and auditory things that were also very
2: strange um can you describe what those were uh there was a humming sound uh that was pretty much heard by everybody uh that i well you know i'm just saying you know i'm talking about the adults um now that the kids today presently um there was that sound i mean i had to get multiple testimonies i I learned this from the bbc reporter like if you're going to go with a story you don't have you can't just have one witness you need two and preferably three uh that's the way the bbc operates um to go with you know say oh this happened you know um so there was that sound, and there was also a high pitched sound, uh, that, that was brief. Um, and that, I think, the sound, I think, was part of the reason they all got really scared at that moment. Um, I mean, there were, I think there's there's a, um, uh, I have an analogy, but it's going to take too long. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, the interesting thing is also that they, you know, this thing landed on the or whatever I don't know, hovered I don't know, um, on the far side of their cross country running course, and the kids wouldn't run that cross country course after that. Wow! It's just like a small little like, <laughs> um, yeah, it it, uh, it it impacted a lot of kids, uh, people's lives. Yeah, and I, you know, it's weird to tell a story like this and know that um, there are people still dealing with this. You know what I mean? Like, well, that was that was one of the most
0: compelling parts for me is just seeing how. I mean, not only as adults, which is a whole other level to this psychologically, but as children. I mean, I have a two and a half year old, and um, I know, you know, he has a lot of older friends and stuff, and it's like I. just If if kids were making something up, it would be funny. They'd forget about it. And especially if they're all concocting to conspire to trick adults or whatever. It doesn't psychologically traumatize children to have some sort of concocted story. (laughs) Um, The fact that these children were clearly so impacted by what they had seen for days, weeks, months, and years afterward. I mean, some kids had to move away. Uh, Like you said, they wouldn't even touch this part of the track that was part of uh, the playground that they would, you know, encounter every day. I mean, they really were deeply affected. Some of the kids that you show in the film were crying, clearly did not want to even talk about that when they described, you know, one of the girls described hearing like a, a flute sound, which I found just kind of eerie to describe, you know, not only the buzzing of kind of a swarm of bees, but then this odd sound of a flute when one of these crafts hovered or landed or however you want to call it. And then just the description of the beings themselves is very eerie. And um, it's just really strange. I mean, of course the gray alien, that classic gray alien goes back, you know, we can talk about Aleister Crowley and depictions of the gray that go back for generations and alien folklore, but it's so fascinating to hear this all being compiled by dozens and dozens over sixty children aged six to twelve I mean twelve years old that's old you're yeah. a teenager you're not like a you know you're not just some like impressionable little kid who has such a wild imagination that you can be privy to just make things up whole cloth and just run with it I mean twelve years old, you are a teenager you know if you're seeing something yeah. that's and those are
2: had sorry, uh, yeah, go ahead. Those 12 year olds, year olds had responsibility, they were prefects. So, uh, when there was playtime or recess, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, though those older kids were responsible for if you know, there was an adult in the tuck shop, you know, the curio candy little hut like that was uh not facing that area. You know, it's interesting because she was there, she had heard some kind of sounds from where she was, but she was quite a distance away. And it was like a very small window. uh, And she couldn't see from her perspective anywhere, any, any, any of that. Um, But she did report that. um, um, But it was 60 kids that did drawings. Right. So this is the thing that, um, God, I I, I wish I could have done a, a much longer film. Um, because, and it just, it just came down to finances, to be honest. Um, but I mean, there's, uh, there's, uh, uh, the, the headmaster, and I, I think this was wise at the time, he did not include, uh, the grade ones and twos or pre K. Uh, I mean, uh, kindergarten. Um, I don't know what they actually call it over there. Um, but, uh, those kids were kept away completely from the everything. The oh, so act.
1: so those 60 witnesses who said they saw stuff that doesn't include the younger kids or it, it does, you just didn't get that. Like,
2: doesn't. Oh, wow. That's not um, because the, the headmaster wisely. So chose to um, not just leave them alone. They were traumatized, shaken up. They were young. They were, you know, and they just didn't uh, include them. But I found those kids. You know, I started to find, uh, Robert and, uh, several other people, uh, then, and just, uh, um, when I heard them, you know, tell me their story, uh, one of them, you know, they a lot of them didn't want to go on camera. Uh, but I think I have two in the film that were, uh, but they just literally, I sat down with them and, uh, they told me the whole story, and uh, from their perspective, and it was the same thing.
0: So the, these were kids who were kept away from like the press frenzy about it, and right. all of the you know the, the people. Who they were came kept tried to interview from them.
2: even discussing it. Which, you know,
0: which is sad, but all I, I guess you could rationalize it at the time. But at the same time, it must have been so hard because it probably was one of the first formative memories for kids that young. I mean, for me, that's like, you know, that's around the, the age that you really start yeah. to have memories. And so to have your first really established memory be this <laughs> and then yeah. and then just be prevented from really exploring that and just be, you know, bottle it all up. I mean, I'm amazed that you even got that you tracked some of those kids down and that they were able to really recount it in such detail after not being able just suppressing it for decades.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and so... You know, one of the trippy things about the story is that the sheer number, you know, the fact that I think it's like 62 uh, who saw something and then talked to press. The
2: the 62 is referring to the drawings. Who did drawings. Wow. And then so you have an even larger number who
1: witnessed something, but then were kept by the headmaster from talking to people or who saw something but did not make drawings. And then you have afterwards this large number. I mean, the fact that 60 drew uh, things that were – more or less the same, and then everyone's story. You know, if you had one, you know, one of the theories, debunking theories, is that, you know, one kid made something up, told everyone, and they all had this the same story. They don't really all have the same story. They all have like their own vantage point and view and interpretation of what happened, which are which all vary and are all a little different, but all kind of convey the same thing. And that, in a way, makes it if they all had the same story that would make it like less convincing because there's like oh sure. well, how do you all know the same thing but the fact that they all had their own you know a lot of, probably like also based on their own life experience mm-hmm. and upbringing their different ways of interpreting so it it did seem like they were interpreting something they saw versus trying to all trying their best to relay a similar story and then there, they obviously were freaked out i mean the fact that you had them running away from something and then one of the young girls i think that's like the youngest looking girl in the film that's interviewed she's obviously (laughs) extremely freaked out and upset by what she had seen and very scared she's crying through a lot of the thing and that the people that you track down still today are very it's like was like a formative moment in their lives
2: yeah uh the uh you know, the other people I actually talked to, two students that weren't there that day, and I interviewed them to, I wanted to know, did you believe your friends? Mm-hmm. You know, and they, both of them that I was lucky enough to find, um, said yes, absolutely. And, uh, I was thinking, um, um, yeah, that I was on that, case for a while like did a story did you know there were sightings of weird stuff in the sky that whole week did they you know somebody catch on to that story and make it up uh, you know I went down that whole avenue but what was really interesting is in the archival and I, I collected it almost to the very end I got pretty mu- I think I have every single piece of interview and there there's tons of interviews of these kids um, and I know they have feelings about it because the media just came in there and you know you know they they have feelings about it cuz nobody took care of them right you know came in and interviewed them took their stories and all that stuff but nobody took care of them or had any conversations with them i think the best person that was was but he was not there for long was john Mack. um and there were also uh, there were other people um i talked to a paramedic that actually worked with three of these kids cuz they were in trauma and he had a, a degree in psychi- psychology and um so what was interesting in the archival is you know was they didn't look at each other to check in is this the story you know mm-hmm. what i mean mm-hmm. they just told their story whether they were alone or whether they were with a group of people uh they didn't there was none of that uh looking around at each other to see if you got it right or something. No, these were it was coming from personal experience from each individual, from where they were, from where their viewpoint was, and not everybody was at the edge of the playground. There were people on in the swing set area. There were people coming from the um, tennis. Believe it or not, there's tennis courts. Tennis courts there, and it's, it's it was a nice primary. It's a very nice primary school. I mean, they they struggle every year for their budget. Um, but you know, they, um, what a beautiful school. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just really interesting. And the other thing I really focused on because, uh, kind of focused that on it my entire life is the eyes because, um, body language and eyes, uh, when someone's telling them the truth, boy, that's hard to, to, to recreate in any way, um, and, they did seem uh,
0: so. very confident. I mean, the children talking, like you said, they're not looking around. They're not looking down. They're just locking eyes with the person who's talking to them. And they're just extremely confident in their detail and descriptions yeah. of what they experience, which I found, I mean, like you say in the film, I mean, you can tell when kids are And they didn't seem lying. like
1: the rascals, you know, <laughs> like the troublemaker kids are like, ha I got this like crazy story to tell people like the kids seemed very like, serious like well be like they did not seem like oh, yeah. you know the troublemakers in it was a, strict anyway. school. It was right. a very
2: strict, it was a you know a christian school What's, what was interesting about this is you had every race there and you had a, almost every religion there you had um, islamic you had christians you had um, the native shona um, i mean it was it was such a diverse uh pool if he, if if I could say that, um, uh, that fascinated. that's that also fascinated me like, wow, that's they they touch a lot of people from very different belief systems. um, And they've all had to deal with that in, in their own way, some better than others. You know,
0: when you looked at I'm sure you looked at most, if not all of the drawings, um, what what stood out the most to you? In terms of like how the figures looked, because other than the classic gray alien caricature that we've heard about for so long, that's prominent in this kind of folklore. um, One of the more creepy aspects of it was kind of that that sheen black, almost plasticky suit Um, one, one person describes it as Botox looking now as an adult saying she didn't have the signifier to explain that when she was a child, but kind of a, the veneer of just like a very smooth, almost like scuba suit type thing. And then another odd, peculiar aspect of this is like the long black hair, Yeah, long black hair. Everyone
1: said one of them had long
2: hair.
0: Very strange. Um, so I guess what stood out to you looking at these drawings
2: well that that kind of got me um because a lot of the drawings uh didn't have any hair um there were a few but there were other drawings that had like a head like it was like almost like a covering you know that looked like hair but it wasn't they didn't they didn't depict it as hair you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and i was really curious about that um, because a lot of the drawings were this gray looking thing with no hair whatsoever. Um, and then it was, then I came upon one witness, um, that, um, well, it was, it was the first one of many after that, but, uh, the first one that said there were, the one, one had this hair looking, uh, uh, on, on it and the other one did not. Uh, didn't have any hair at all. Uh, what's interesting about this is like, if, like this, the fact that th- these things were dressed in black, um, they didn't even mention the color gray. The only thing they could see that was, col- had any color to it was their face, which was like an opaque white, um, pinkish, whitish. That's, <laughs> that's exactly how the kids described it. Um, so that I went and researched and I found that's a very that's just I only found uh, two other incidents in, in the historical record of this phenomena where that was the case in black tight fitting suit like the tight fitting suit. That's pretty common, but in black was unique and not necessarily gray. um And. So that also said to me, well, if they were going to make up a story, they would have just made, they would have just, you know, gray alien, big you know, that they would have uh, wouldn't have come out with something so unique. I mean, that's the, th- the other thing is there's so many things that they said, there's little details that are just aren't in the film because nobody would understand unless they've done the deep dive um, that there's nowhere there's no way they could have known things like that because those things have come out um much later after what well, after 1994 well after 1994 we'll talk about that
0: because i mean one of the biggest allegations is you know the mass hysteria because of this ufo mania that existed in the days prior right immediately preceding the event there was all these sightings all over zimbabwe as you mentioned outside of the country yeah. um and so a lot of skeptics have said oh well you can't really believe this because the wild imagination theory of the mass hysteria could be based easily on just not only pop culture tv and movies but like the fact that these kids may have been watching the news and just seeing the fact that all these sightings and lights and even the media was like call in with your reports and then all of a sudden this happens at their school so i guess talk about what you said came out after 1994 that kind of made you dismiss that
2: well i mean i i went down the road of um uh what do you call mass hysteria so i talked to several psychiatrists at harvard um and and the answer i got was we have no proof that's real that mass hysteria or mass hallucination that's what it is mass hallucination sorry mass hysteria yeah that is probably got some legs to it um but uh yeah that so i did go down that road um the problem i find with um people that are uh i I just gotta say have you done the work like a lot of people stand away and make judgments about a thing but when you dig into something, I mean, that's what you have to do to really give a, a proper vetting to anything is you got to dig in and say, okay, I know this is weird, but let's see what's here. Um, so I mean, it's, it's so, it's, that's the problem with things like this is they're so easy to d- dismiss. You know, you go with the, the, the simplest answer is the, the best, right? Mm-hmm. Or the, that's the most logical, right? Well, maybe not with this. Maybe not with this kind of thing, um, and if it is like uh, uh, creatures from another planet, uh, I probably would expect that they would uh, um, be pretty tricky, uh, and also uh, it wouldn't be that clear you know well it 's interesting
0: mass hysteria as a phenomenon it does exist, but you're right that mass having a shared hallucination. Right, you know, there's a blanketly, just a completely fake vision that is shared by so many people, ranging from all these different ages. I mean, that really is unique. I don't that, has that ever
2: been alleged to have happened before? Like, what was that? The, the, that that um, that? I think it was in South America. The you know, where all these people saw this vision of a angel or Mary or something in the sky. But even people like. We don't know what they saw, you know? Um, and they probably they, were... Uh, all... Everyone
1: probably believed that, you know? The <laughs> church... Probably, everyone probably believed that. The church was probably
2: like, oh, yep, yeah, yep, that was a miracle <laughs> that happened.
1: Don't doubt it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. It, so... It's... um, I don't know. I just... It, it's something I did delve into quite a bit just to make sure... um. But I, I just don't give it a lot of legs. Well, you
0: know? kids were interviewed that specifically about whether they had seen UFO lore and stuff like that, um, or mm-hmm. watch movie. I mean, we saw it themselves. like a couple of kids were just like, "No, I didn't know about any of this stuff going on in the country or whatever." I mean, it would have been different if oh, yeah. if some of them were like, "Oh yeah, totally." Like that's what made you know, like, and then they landed here, like. <laughs> We saw them in the sky, and then they came here and did this and that. Like a couple of them were just like, "What?"
2: Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So I went through their library. Yeah, you got to remember this is rural Zimbabwe. Um, the 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 people with the money had, were farmers, and there were a few farmers who had satellite dishes. Um, there was a lot of missionary kids going to that school. There was a lot of the native Shona. They had no access to television or you know um but the the, there were some wealthy farmers that did some of the kids would get you know cartoons on vhs tapes sent to them um from canada or you know england or the united states um so i mean their access to media was not anything like us um so that's another aspect but you know so we're talking about mass hallucination. We're talking about these other possibilities. Well, so this is where that disappears for me. Uh, when I interviewed the pilot that was in the sky that night, the night before. And he, you know, told me what he saw. He, him, another pilot, and his co-pilot. So, I mean, that was a significant interview. Uh, he had heard me on the radio over there. Uh, big thanks and shout out to Nikki Carter who also investigated this and did a lot of really important interviews Um, you know her name unfortunately you know she didn't become the main line of the film she's a a, worked for SABC and just a a, a really good reporter investigative reporter journalist and um, but, but the reason I didn't was because Tim was the he was the one that really started it, you know what I mean? Nikki's in the movie, but like Tim really um, took it, took the journey, so to speak. And I know she did too, but it's it's hard when you make a film and you have to, they call it killing your babies, you know, it's like, um, you know, the things that end up on the cutting room floor that you're like, oh my God, that was so good and we had to lose it. Well, there's um, so much but, yeah.
0: there, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, that many witnesses, that much to go on. It's like you really do have to – you really have to cut so much to really make that narrative strong. And yeah. I don't envy the process. I mean it's it's a really difficult one to do,
2: especially the amount of time that you invested, I'm sure. Um, yeah, but you – go ahead. There, there, I just wanted to say like there was – I did probably – at least 60 other interviews of adults that um, swear on their life that what they saw was not from here. Uh, You mean in the the days prior? Day before and also afterwards on that Saturday. Yeah. Uh, John Mack actually interviewed a man who had on that Saturday uh, had seen these things in the road very close to aerial school um so i mean
0: wait so he, so there was actually an adult who who says that he saw the exact same creatures that the kids testified to seeing?
2: He, well he described... He, he he didn't know what they were um and there there was a bunch of them they it's funny i learned this from chiefs in africa they all they still tell you like they're never alone there's never one <laughs> that's so funny i like they like there's people that know this stuff over there they've seen it i mean in villages and i mean wow that's anyway that's another whole thing uh, um well at least you go down all these roads you know like okay what's the native uh indigenous culture like what have they seen you know um there were villages on uh Uh, You know, on one side of Ariel school, there was, you know, a very large village there. And I talked to the chief there and um, they took me around. It's it's (laughs) this is kind of weird. Didn't really talk about this because I just didn't want to go down this avenue. But around Ariel school is some of the oldest burial sites in in Zimbabwe. Um, And it's on on three sides of that school. Um, I I just, one of those interesting things like the, 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 the indigenous people feel like they came because of their ancestors. That's why, you know, that's what they feel. They felt like they didn't actually come to, 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 um, see the children. They came to, um, to that site because it's sacred.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah, some of the studies, um, of course, talking about the mass hysteria thing, was a couple of racist theses about how developing countries are more privy to encountering mass hysteria events. It did, it did seem odd to just say, like, yeah, Africa does this a lot. Can't trust them. <laughs> Can't trust those Africans. I don't know what they It was seeing. just like, huh, that, that's an odd uh, way to kind of.
1: Well yeah, you know, one
0: of the I contacted
2: the State <laughs> Department um in Zimbabwe, the United States State Department. And uh I said, "Hey, I'm I'm working on this film. This, this is the event I described everything to them." And uh I got an email back from the State Department that said, you know, a lot of weird things happen here. <laughs> <laughs> nice concession. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was simple and uh um not a lot said, but a lot said
1: um you know going back to one thing i just want to reiterate something that we covered in the last few minutes is that the idea that um uh you know a lot of these things are dismissed as like oh you're just repeating what you're seeing on television and sci-fi movies and you know it was the mid-90s like i remember being in school in the mid-90s and like everyone had like aliens on their t-shirts you know it was part of the popular culture but the fact that these kids but a large number of them had no television. And even if they did, were not seeing the things we were seeing in America. And that even many of the children that were interviewed who had the sighting, when they were asked, did you know anything about UFOs, aliens, seen these movies? So they had no, they had no conception of it at all. And so like all of this came out of just whatever happened this day was where their images and all of that stuff uh, came from. And, you know, another thing that we didn't really, we kind of have alluded to but haven't fully talked about it yet is your film not only follows you know several of the children who are interviewed as children and then finding them as adults and having them still very committed to this memory and recollection um but one of the compelling things is that it two of the big on the ground investigators right when this incident happened one a harvard psychologist who's psychiatrist. trained psychiatrist i'm sorry uh who's trained in interviewing children and uh, a seasoned bbc reporter who had spent a lot of time in africa covering conflicts um, these two separate guys you know on their own were like so moved by this story they were so convinced by what they found visiting the aerial school in the aftermath that they basically like blew up their careers over it um, because their, their experience in going and talking to people had just tripped them out so much. They went way outside, you know, two different uh, professional fields where like, you know, professional media and professional academia, it's like you have to be committed to the hard facts. And they felt that what they had found in their investigation there was the hard fact and like others like really wouldn't believe them. And that's another angle of your film is how they were treated and the pushback they got. And, and that whole thing I think is really important, but um, yeah, like just, just talk about, or, or give your impression of these two guys who found themselves in this story and uh, you know, were so compelled by it that they, they took this, this whole new path.
2: Yeah. I, uh, well, Tim, it took me two years when I found out like a BBC war reporter was covering this. He's the one that broke the story in the beginning. Um, He's the one that called John Mack. Um, He called Cynthia Hind, who also wrote a book about this and, uh, or it's in in one of her books, uh, um, UFOs in Africa, I believe she wrote two books. Um, But uh, yeah, Tim was uh, took me two years to find him uh, and when I found him, I just got on a plane to England and just went to see him and um, spent, ai a, don't know how many days with him, probably four or five days. Um, and, you know, he had kept all his notes. He had kept his recordings. He kept everything. And, uh, you know, he made photocopies for me and gave me, you know, he just gave me tons of information. Um and I, I had a lot of uh, compassion for Tim because he had seen, he had been shot himself. Um, the war reporting is really, I mean, boy, that that is a really, really uh, dangerous profession. Um, and he had many of his friends killed, and that's that's for real. And unfortunately, he passed away in twenty eleven. But yeah, he. He went on a journey. I mean, he, did, he was so skeptical in the beginning when he was interviewing the kids, which it's way longer than what's in the film. He's like, are you sure? Are you sure it wasn't a helicopter? Are you sure it wasn't airplane? Are you sure it wasn't a balloon? He just kept going on with, no, it can't be what these kids are saying. And then over time, because um, he, kept, he kept on that story, it really affected him. Um, and it affected John Mack as well. Um, uh, John Mack had been working with the other, uh, with this subject matter for, I think he was since 91, 92. Um, but this was a very, probably one of the largest, uh, multiple, you know, uh, mass witnessed, um, events that, that he covered. I mean, they, they did pay a price. I mean, Tim was, um. Um, just not taken seriously, uh, after that. And John Mack's, uh, journey, um, was, uh, I mean, he put everything on the line. I mean, the guy was a brilliant, you know, he won the Pulitzer prize. He was a professor of psychiatry. He was, you know, he was the, the star on campus, and then when he got into this subject matter and said, Hey, there's something actually here. This isn't just crazy people. You know, he had, you know, he's written tons of books, tons of papers, studied dreams and uh, every kind of psychological phenomena you can imagine. And he stood his ground. He said, this does not fit. And he, and I, I got to tell you that the risk he took was so huge. Um, and he paid for it, you know, um, uh, and that, that still to this day touches me, both of those men. Um, um, and, and I guess that's what you do when you see uh something that when there's something there and it doesn't fit you, you, you need to speak out and not with the answer, but with the question,
0: like right. we don't
2: have an answer here. Well, it's interesting
0: that Mac was already – his interest was already peaked in the subject matter. Um, and as far as the BBC war reporter, he clearly was just like, what the fuck is happening here? I mean he was <laughs> yeah. so blown away and he was – his whole life was just completely derailed. And he was in the thick of it. I mean he was in the middle of horrific atrocities. He was, di- he was shot. As you mentioned, he's just filming people getting shot. It's like he was in the serious – in some serious – shit there and he just kind of mm-hmm. was like this is scarier this is actually scarier than anything i've done because it's totally inexplicable and another mm-hmm. thing that was interesting is just so many adults i mean i think there was only like one guy who worked at the school who was just like i don't believe the kids um right. but every yeah. other adult was just like i, I, I believe this i really. interviewed that
3: guy.
2: yeah after the fact i was like yeah. And what do you what do well, you saying? Like, this guy doesn't believe it. I want to talk to him. <laughs> you know, of course. No, I wanted to talk to anybody that had like an alternate opinion. So yeah, uh that when I interviewed him, um, and I'm gonna put that out. Um, I'm gonna start putting some things out because there's a lot more I can back this up, you know, like in a bunch of different ways. This was seen on radar. Um that's not known. Um so um, uh, yeah, the teacher, when I went back to him, I said, Hey, you know, I, I, I specifically like, I need to see, he was still working at the school and there were, uh, three people that were still there in, uh, in my first trip there, I did two trips there to the school and then one trip for like B roll and, you know, all the other, whatever other interviews actually, uh, but not, uh for that time period but for that uh that week um but not uh i didn't directly go to the school on the second visit um so yeah he he said you know i changed my mind really yeah and i said what changed you know what changed your mind he said the consistency of the reports over time and that's something you see in the archival so like the first interviews were done by Tim Leach, you know, first person on, and then the second interviews were done within about a week later. And then another interview was done two weeks later. John Mack did interviews a month and a half, uh, two months later. And then uh, another interview was done in 1995, uh, six months later. And then another set of interviews were, were done in 1997, so you see the consistency does not. Ch- I mean, I can see it from the archival. Like, uh, this story is not changing at all. You know what I mean? And they're kids, so you and you figure... qu- and you question your memory over time. I mean,
0: at least I I do. Like, some memories, I'm just like, did that even sure. happen? Like, I literally just feel like I make things up completely in my mind about things that happened (laughs) to me as a child. And what's fascinating is that these people do not doubt for one second, at least the people that you show in the documentary, um, that this did happen, Randall. And and let's talk about the people who didn't. I mean, you said that there were tons of people who didn't want to talk on film, understandably so. And even the people that you did find, a lot of them said that they don't like talking about it. I mean, it, it's, they True. stand by it, but they are ridiculed by their friends. Yeah. they're. It's not like they're out there trying to capitalize on the event, trying to make money with books. That
2: say something? Doesn't right. That say they something? genuinely don't want to talk about it. One of them had,
1: it. one of them said in your film that she hadn't even told her husband yet about the story.
2: I, I mean, it's a delicate, I mean, it's a really delicate issue. I mean, some people just block it out, you know? There's some people that just don't want to go there at all or think about it because it just terrifies them.
0: Talk about those people. I mean, I'm sure that you tried to contact everyone. You don't have to name names, of course, but I mean, just kind of give us a general idea of like the people who didn't want to talk to you. How many of them stopped believing it was true? How many people questioned their memories? How many people like rationalized it away? Or were they just like, I genuinely can't talk about
2: this? Oh, no, I I didn't run into anybody who told me... I mean, I've been out there for 15 years. My email's been out there. My phone number's been out there. Uh, To the school, all the kids. um, Oh, I got to put a shout out to Robin Robin Jurd, because she really helped me get in contact with the kids uh, in the very beginning. She's some woman in Africa that just said, hey, I want to help you. And she just set up a Facebook Facebook thing. Anyway, so I re you know, I never got anybody. Uh, I never got that. What I got was, um, you never got what? I never got somebody that said, no, I don't I doubted it. Right. Doubted. You know, there, I guess there were a few people that really didn't, they just want, have got a lot of, uh, um, uh, curiosity about that day. Like, there was
1: nobody who later said like, Hey, you know what? That, I made that up,
2: you know. No. Back then, not one person. Yeah, no. and then so I've I've sat with quite a few of them, and that uh, you know one one particular person who I really wanted to interview because of his location and something he had said about um, the message, the messages that were transferred between that creature and and the children um and we set up an interview and uh uh he got scared and and he said i don't know what happened there but right now i think that was the devil Mm -hmm. and we got into this whole religious conversation and uh, i realized like okay this is where this person is needs to put it for himself. And that's okay. And I, I was kind of disappointed. And there's, you know, another person, um, I sat with him and, um, we went to lunch and, uh, had a conversation. I asked him, so, you know, did this really happen? And he said, absolutely. And I said, Hey, I actually have your drawing. And I put the drawing down on the table in front of me. And um, he took a piece of paper that was also, I had my notebook there and he took a piece of paper and covered it up. And then he went on and he said, I want, really wanted to interview him. And uh, he said, no way, man. I work with, um, I will, I'll never live it down with the people I work with or my friends. Like I live with security all around me, cameras and everything. And, um, I, I just don't want to, I, I just don't, I don't need to talk about it. I mean, he just didn't want to, it's hard, you know, that's a people I, you know, when I, when people joke about it or whatever, I, I just say, wow, you, you should really meet these people. Yeah. No, please don't. But, um, cause they, they need their respect. But, um, you know, when you see the effect and that, it's something that, uh, till this day, that I mean, there's, there's something that that's fresh. It's like it happened yesterday.
0: Because that's how and, profound it was for them. I mean, we didn't I even talk about the telepathy. Like we didn't even talk mm-hmm. about the messaging. And I've I've read reports of, you know, Cynthia Hind, the enthusiast that you cover in the film, the woman Cynthia who I, first yeah. documented the kid's stories, and then Dr. John Mack coming sure. two months later or so, and is this true that he was the first one that actually got the testimony that there was some sort of message relayed to some of the children because that's yeah. used as a dismissal. Like, Oh, well that must've been well, suggested and talk oh, no. about, and talk about the messaging and how many kids experienced that because that, that's a pretty crazy component of this.
2: It, it is. They, there was a, during that moment where there was that thing was, was reported was standing there staring at them, um, from a, not, not a long distance, um, that has never been nailed down, but I would say within 20 feet and maybe much closer, um, because I've heard several different, um, distances, um, but definitely very close. And they were staring at these huge eyes and this thing was staring at them, not, it, it was interesting even in the testimony of the kids the the kids were like yeah no he wasn't staring at me he was looking at all of us and that in that moment time seemed to slow down or be very bizarre and they started getting these pictures in their head about our own what our species was doing to itself um there were a lot of kids that that and the it, it 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 does appear in the archival before John Mack, but nobody John Mack was the only person that actually worked with kids you know he his he worked 20 years working with as a child um psychiatrist um, um you know he wrote i don't know how many papers about that um but he knew well how to work with kids and he was able to um, get information out. Um, I did, you know, some of these questions were leading, absolutely. Um, but what's interesting is even in his leading questions, the kid still said, "No, that's not what it was." <laughs> you know, like he I, that that question that's on the in the movie where he's saying, "You know, was it a buzzing sound? Was he?" You know, you know, you, that's a leading question. But the kid, what does the girl say? it sounded like a flute. So she, you know, it, when you look at it all, it's it's pretty, pretty fascinating. Um, so you would yeah. say a lot of the kids experience some
0: sort of resonating symbolism. I'd say at least a
2: dozen that that I've talked with. That's a yeah. pretty,
0: I mean, that's a kind of a horrifying, albeit very interesting aspect of this. Well, it's also I mean, like
1: a level of Like sophistication and complexity that I don't think like an 11 year old would come up with. Like, if aliens were going to come and deliver a message to you, it will be about the impending apocalypse from climate disaster. It's like, that doesn't sound like something (laughs) an 11 year old could come up with. Like, maybe today, because it's like kind of all around us, but in the 90s, you know in zimbabwe i don't know if that was like kind of at the forefront of what the most important message for human beings to understand was
0: deforestation like that one girl was just like all the trees are going to be gone i was like
2: you know i went down the avenue of um when people go through extreme traumas like what are they you know i wondered like well when you go through something really like extreme whether it's traumatic or not it's extreme and it make does it make a species like us or whatever think about our environment just because <laughs> we we feel threatened in a sense from something out i don't know i went all kinds of different directions with what could have that work could did that come from but i'm still left with it came from that thing whatever that thing was um and uh it was you know it wasn't just that one. There were, there were several of these things, um, these creatures, whatever you want to call them. But yeah, I mean, that's a pretty, at that time in 94, that's a pretty profound thing to, um, to even just talk about, especially even in in Zimbabwe, I mean, particularly, um, that was not, uh, a really big talking point like um, at the right at the beginning of when
0: people tend to look at this and you know you want to believe because we're very you know humans are very Well, I want to say we're very rational minded, but that's completely not true. (laughs) But at least for someone like me and Mike, I mean, we're we're very science minded. I'm fascinated by science and I'm very I I tend to Mm. think of myself as a very logical person. And that's why this has thrown me for such a loop, because I never really believed in um, alien abduction stories or alien you know, tales seriously before. I mean, before learning about this incident, hearing the stories and the consistency of them, it it just defies all logic. And I think that's what's so captivating about this story is just how inexplicable this phenomenon really is, especially when you break down the actual skepticism and debunking arguments. Um, Like, for example, one of them that I I just read, which is so fascinating because it was very elaborate, description of how it could have been this traveling troupe of puppeteers um, (laughs) doing an elaborate hoax which could explain the all-black figures the giant faces with no expression the movements that the kids describe as kind of these you know almost weightless weightless bouncy like movements from the figures behind the brush where the people were hiding from i mean it seems hard to believe that 12 year olds would think that puppets, even from a, sh- a distance like that, would think that they were legitimately
2: extraterrestrials. I would, I would have found it right. I mean, I went down that road too the hoax road, and uh, somebody would have taken credit for that at this point. Um, and how do but you, I, like, land the
0: thing, you yeah. know? Yeah, I like, mean, how, how do you, you
2: describe all the other things they yeah, saw? Yeah, that wouldn't have been possible? By gravity, the, <laughs> you know, all yeah, the I other mean... phenomenon. Time being altered somehow. They, I mean, how do they even know that or describe that? I mean, it's just – and what's interesting about that is that's what other descriptions in the past are too. But, you know, I'm, I'm a science – person, you know, a mechan I grew up, my dad was a mechanic and an engineer, so and he still is. And uh he's eighty-one. I gotta put a shout out to my dad and my mom because boy, I'm such I'm really lucky to have parents like that. Um and but um uh, you know I I I think that uh because I like to I work on things that are very Uh, right in front of me. I can touch it. I can do things to it, whatever I can um, build it, take it apart, put it back together, fix it, whatever, all that stuff. And uh, you know, when, when I'm faced with this or looking at this, I, I think that when, if it's something from another, you know, uh, an alien species, we're not going to understand it. It's not going to be what we think. You know, and I gotta say about the, the whole alien, you know, craze and all that stuff and all the movies and all that stuff. Those, all that stuff came from real reports that were fictionalized afterwards. You know, like if you go back in the history and this is what debunkers don't even do, they don't even do their work. You need, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna profess about something and, whatever do your homework like really do it don't just gloss over do the deep dive um and you can do that without you know and be skeptical at the same time you know i just had to share that well it
0: is interesting i mean there's certainly never been an event like this you know usually it's people who individuals are individuals who just get these kind of grainy
1: photographs. Or like of course, two there's people a lot of, who had a similar experience.
0: Yeah, it's like I. I mean, of course, there's this new influx of um, this new wave of like UAP stuff and these kind of yeah. doled out, uh, kind of oddly released and promoted by institutions like <laughs> the New York Times and the Pentagon itself, which I. I have to question what it is what do they want us to believe? What is this really for? It's very fascinating. I want to get your comment on that in a second. But I wanted to kind of also touch upon something that Mike joked about earlier, which is um, the religion, you know, religion driving our culture and our politics and our society in general. And if this were a mass sighting, I know you mentioned that something similar had happened in South America. I don't know when that was, but if this were a mass sighting of this many children seeing an angel coming down from heaven, you know, I mean, we see what happens when like a person finds burnt toast in the shape of Jesus or like tree sap, (laughs) tree sap. It's like there's lines around the block. It becomes a tourist attraction, the Catholic church.
1: Oh yeah. If all the kids at the aerial school said they saw an angel instead, the, the Pope would have showed up and like declared (laughs) it a miracle and then like, it'd be a pilgrimage site.
0: It is just so funny. I mean, your, your documentary touches upon this kind of absurd dichotomous nature of our society, how some things are completely accepted as mainstream and actually institutionalized in so many regards. But another aspect of kind of the paranormal is just ridiculed um, beyond our realm of comprehension and just completely unbelieved. It's, really something else because it's like well what is it i mean how how susceptible are you how open are you if you believe in you know the doctrine of like the old testament i mean how crazy is that really to open your mind to be like actually yeah it's pretty believable that some crazy shit would happen it's like a burning bush talking to you i mean what where where where's the line drawn of like believability of people's stories here
2: um well, I mean I have a lot of friends that are religious and um I and I didn't mean to I don't mean to laugh at that at all. I I do um I do think that you know we we've evolved quite a long ways from 2000 years ago. Um and to be honest with you, I I wonder what people did see back then. And how their minds, uh, interpreted it and what they made, uh, decisions around about what to think about that. And of course, there's the whole aspect of controlling people and, um, keeping people organized, so to speak. Um, so I, I, uh, but the problem, I think that the difficulty and I think there's a lot of people that that I know that are religious are evolving and, um, you know, are starting to be a little more open minded because, you know, you can't stick with the story uh, and uh, insist that story is um, the truth. Uh, and that's the only truth. And still grow at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Like we, there, there are things that happen all the time that are are new and should inform us. You know, in our our beliefs and and everything else. That our beliefs are are not necessarily facts. You know, um, and we do see that a lot. I um, I, don't know, I have a lot of I think about that a lot. I brought that up um, in the film because I think it's important that we don't miss things because we believe they are not real. Right. You know, like we just that's that can't be possible. So it isn't. Well, that's a bad way to, uh, you know, if there's a lion outside the village, you don't want to believe it's there. Well, see how long that goes on. Right. And, and these kids, I mean, I believe and that happens for real over there. Right? Right.
0: I believe these kids had this experience uh, straight up. And if you believe these children had these, this experience, you need to nurture their trauma and be able yes. to work with them so they can process it. And that's what didn't happen. And so it's like, yeah, I I totally understand how. The majority of people would look at this and just be like, oh, this is nuts, so it's mass hysteria or whatever. But it doesn't change the fact that these people are still heavily impacted by this and their lives have been completely altered to this day. And the reason that I even brought up the Christianity thing is because one of the main subjects of your documentary did Mm -hmm. grow up in a Christian household. Her brother experienced the same phenomenon and her parents kind of pushed it aside and he and i don't know where he is today i don't know if you're comfortable talking about that i think it would have been in the documentary if you were but it's just really sad because who knows what happened to him i mean at least she's able to process it through her artwork but you could tell it's completely taken over her life
2: yeah i well, think he he processes it processes it processes it, sorry i can't say that word. processes it through um um hunting okay. i think um, you know, he's a, he's a very big wildlife guy. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really spent some time with her and her family and I really loved their family. Don't get me wrong. I was It was really hard for me to, to, um, I c- I could have gone way further than I did with, um, um, what was the, you know, the entire picture, but but they were just really wonderful people, and uh, um, but it did 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 perfectly display uh, part of the issue of and not just with this topic, many other topics as well. Just the cognitive belief, dissonance, you mean? Yeah, the, the where belief systems get involved with what's actually really happening right in front of you, you know? Um,
1: right, and I think that your uh, your handling of Religion in the film is not in any way disparaging to religion, and like you know, that's no. not. And and it's it's more the idea that because belief in religion is a belief in the supernatural, right? I mean, sure. an afterlife and uh, God. I mean, this is these are supernatural things, and the belief in the supernatural is a widely accepted thing. In American society, you can go to divinity school and college, you can send your children to religious schools. Uh, And even politicians, I mean, probably like 60% of politicians, not only do they espouse belief in the supernatural, but would not get elected if they did not. And I think like everyone gets unless you're uh, another religion, like everyone gets like sworn into Congress on the Bible. Like, yeah, you know, like, Dennis
0: Kucinich was excoriated because he said he saw a UFO, remember that? <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. yeah. So, guy.
1: so like the mainstream acceptance in, in the supernatural and belief in the supernatural is like, you know, that won't hurt your career at all, but it's almost kind of tied together. And I think it ties into the example of this family that you spend time with and one of the subjects of your film. It's almost like that's why it's not really acceptable to talk about alien encounters. It's that that's it's okay to believe in the supernatural so long as it's about us being the center of the universe and, and all of that. But when we start to talk about things that kind of challenge those kind of pillars of, of religious institutions, then it starts to be like, Oh, well maybe we shouldn't talk about, maybe (laughs) there is some more, more intelligent life that, and we're very inferior and like all of these things. So I think there's a, there's definitely a connection there to the, to the religious question of why that is able to be so dominant in our society, but, but other things are.
2: Yeah. I think that's just the human animal, you know, we've, we could the, the Copernican thing. I mean, Galileo, the, the, I mean, this is just a fact, the Gala, the, the Catholic church didn't apologize to Galileo until 1992. Oof! Holy <laughs> shit. Mean, Yeah. They're holding out. They're holding out (laughs) for another
1: scientist who might uh, (laughs) vindicate them. But
2: Um, so, I mean, it's just, you know, we, we, the the problem, you know, our, I think, I mean, for me anyway, I, it's just like, you got, it's like a humility of a humbleness of um, that is missing, I think, a lot Um in the way we look at the world, you know, um, and where we actually are. I mean, we, we're, we're floating around a, a, a star, you know, and it's gravitational pull. And there's, you know, if you look at the night sky, um, I, there's no book that can cover that or any kind of belief system that can cover that because we just don't even know. Um, And we're learning so much, you know, like the webs up and all this stuff, web telescope and uh, my God, it's amazing. But we're just, we're just, we haven't even left our solar system yet.
0: Oh man, I just learned that we could have been birthed from another black hole that are i mean it's check that completely <laughs> insane stuff that oh, that's cool. I haven't absolutely heard that. blows my mind what is the actual theory called mike
1: oh i don't remember I go it's, back and listen to it's a episode. trip
0: randall um let's take some callers <laughs> we want to be respectful of your time we know that we've had you on for a long time it's been a completely fascinating okay, discussion really captivating i can't wait to, to hear what people have to say so we'll take a couple callers and then we're going to play your trailer and uh let you go
2: all right. Okay. Uh, I want to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can I just mention the the you know the Pentagon and? Oh yeah, uh, please. Yeah. So that's kind of a big deal. Um, I I think that to be honest with you, my personal feeling is that this has been known about for quite a long time. Uh that's my personal take. Um, and a lot of other people, you know, of higher, much much higher rank could uh tell you the same thing um but i think uh you know i figured they would never ever drop this card unless things were really bad Mm. because it know it was something you just don't want to really share with people it's going to be disturbing but we got a lot of stuff on the burner that aren't great things for our future um so my personal feeling is they're dry. You know, I was just shocked when that all went down in 2017, December, and has just gotten more and more, um, just more and more credible people coming out left and right. So you think uh, it's a genuine sprinkling
0: of, uh, preparation on behalf of the government? Abs- to kind of, I interesting. absolutely
2: do. Interesting.
0: Absolutely.
2: I mean, I've sat with some, quite a few people, um, that are involved in all that. The, the, um, release of the stuff and testimony from military people. I've interviewed several myself and, uh, it's kind of been a background thing. Um, but yeah, there's no question. I mean, there's no question they see these things and, um, there's just, I mean, we have to address it. If it's there, we need to address it. If we don't, I mean, that's our fault. That's, that's on us.
0: I'm just such a skeptic of the U.S. government in general that whenever they are promoting a conspiracy theory, I have to ask qui bono. It's obviously them intentionally planting seeds for the purpose of. My mind always goes to like for what, and it's either quelling something, distraction, or profit making. So I'm I'm still. I feel like I'm up in the air about it. There is. I'm still up I'm, in the air about it. Gotta build I,
1: up the space force now. To uh, yeah, I mean, back.
0: but I mean, I, I mean the TikTok craft and all. I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff that has come out that I cannot wrap my mind around. So I totally, I mean, I believe these people that they saw these things. You know, it's it's fascinating. I mean, I also know what our government does to whistleblowers traditionally, and a couple of these sure. people who've come out are kind of embraced instead of put in jail <laughs> so um, you know yeah. that the government's behind it and the question is, what is why
2: what is the intention well, here my, 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 my personal take is, is that it, it happened uh, the, the, the events that have happened um, in 2004 and 2015 were witnessed by so many military personnel that they couldn't keep a bag on it
4: mm-hmm.
2: that also is true Mm-hmm. Um, because you had some, I mean, you know, Dave Fravor, and he's a Top Gun instructor. He's a Top Gun pilot. You can't get better than that. Do you know what I mean? Like, the people that have come forward and testified are the best of the best. So if you want to go, ta- and they're telling you, we don't know what these things are. <laughs> well, we we should probably find out what they are. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> there's it's it's coming from the inside you know and 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 the government you know whatever you want to call the government structure uh i'd say you know congress and those people um you know the senate intelligence committee were still i think their report is still not um the second one is still not public yet but it is in congress it is on congress's desk from what i've heard um So, anyway, it's just a, this is not the last you'll hear of this for sure. There's just too many good people that, um, that are, are, have, you you know, and these people are also not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about what this means to all of us. A lot
0: of important questions there.
2: Everyone forgets. Mm hmm.
1: Uh, everyone forgets that Bernie Sanders on the Joe Rogan Show pledged that if he was president and there was any top secret information of aliens existing, that he would make it public. And uh, maybe that's why they, they, they worked so hard to sabotage him. Um, but anyways, we're going to take some calls here. Uh, I would like we got a bunch of people on the line. So I just want to ask everyone to try to keep your question or comment to uh, uh, under a minute if you can. So I don't have to boot you a minute, two minutes maximum. But, yeah, it'd be great to have some questions for Randall and hear people's own stories on the topic. So first we got on the line, Brady, Brady, where are you calling from?
3: Um, Planet earth. And I'm a perfect example (laughs) of what happens to a kid when they see a UFO as a young man, because it happened to me and my sister. We were young looking up. We saw this floating metal, you know, classic flying saucer kind of craft in the sky just hovering silently. And it took off uh, like speed of sound from zero, zero to supersonic um not a sound maybe a slight blue light behind it but hard to say there were uh, some orange lights kind of flickering strangely around the rim of it and i know it sounds weird i I almost forgot this detail until y'all started talking about the telepathy aspect of it but i heard you ain't nothing but a hound dog by elvis playing in my head (laughs) (laughs) so it was a really weird it was a weird experience Um, none of the adults could really explain it and then ever since then it made me an See, it didn't happen to my my sister. She's, she's a total normie. But me, I, I couldn't let the experience go. Uh, maybe it's because I was a little older than her when it happened. But it totally turned me into a conspiracy theorist. And I am convinced this is the government trying to hide their own uh, drone technology um, with an alien cover story. And there's a lot of really good information coming out today about Skinwalker Ranch and how they tried to do exactly that there, where they're, you know... Um, I'll leave it at that so we have room for everyone. But uh, I would highly recommend looking into the guy who runs the Museum of Tarot. I dropped a link in the comment to his uh, YouTube. This guy almost understands a lot of the science that's going on. So highly recommend I don't know his name. He's a very mysterious guy.
0: Really interesting hmm. theory, Brady. Thank you so much for telling us that. Really quickly, how old were you when you saw the UFO?
3: I was yeah. about three or four. My sister was about two or three. Wow. And she remembers it too? She does remember it too, but she was almost too young to, I don't, she's a real believer too. So she still believes in Jesus. So, uh, and I kind of, I'm the family black sheep, so there could be multiple reasons why I turned into a conspiracy theorist, but I, I credit the UFO experience I had as a kid. It's always just made me wonder. I I always needed an answer to that, that question. And, um, the closest thing I can come to today is government drones.
1: Well, seeing how uh, yeah, right, right. Seeing how bad they are at creating aircraft, like the Osprey, the F-35, <laughs> those things can't even barely fly. Uh, so uh, a
3: yeah. cover story.
1: Yeah, right. Oh, maybe it's a yeah. propaganda
3: $11 operation. $11
1: trillion dollar
2: cover story. Randall, what do you uh, give me comment on that? Uh, I mean, I just, I mean, I know we're pretty technologically, I mean, the stuff that um, they're working on and... Fielding already is beyond what we, you know, it's it's pretty advanced stuff. But uh, it's been so. There's been these reports for decades and decades and decades, going back to the nineteen early nineteen forties at least, and even further back. Of these same things, doing the same kind of behavior. It's interesting. What's their deal with blue light and orange light? They seem to like Mm. those colors. Um, That's really interesting if you really, you know, you know, um, I don't know if you've read uh, Richard Dolan's uh, The National Security, UFOs in the National Security State. Uh, He did a history of the entire phenomena and just an incredible body of work all the different reports from all over um, and he covered the credible. Um, But I don't think uh, that's what we're looking at. You would not have F-22 pilots, F-18 pilots, F-15 pilots, uh, helicopter pilots of extremely advanced aircraft um, reporting this stuff. I mean, I know pilots. I fly myself. I'm a pilot. I have a plane, small plane. Very cheap. <laughs> I have to fix it myself sometimes. <laughs> um, but, you know, those guys don't, you know, first of all, they don't want to report anything at all. But when they're outgunned, when they're flying some of our latest stuff, you know, the F-22 is just an amazing aircraft. And if they're scared, that tells you something. And and they know. Um, so I just don't think that's – The thing we're going to see more and more is this exotic drone stuff that that does pretty incredible stuff, but um, that's not what this is.
0: Well, there's also the hypersonic weapons um, arms race that is developing between Russia, China, and the United States. I'm not sure what those weapons look like, but I would assume that they're pretty high tech. Um, We've been
2: doing that for at least uh, 15 years. mm Mm-hmm. It's so funny because public-facing, it's like, oh, we're going to catch up with China. Now we <laughs> – Oh, yeah. we're. Uh, I think we're pretty <laughs> much leaving the already. pack on that. <laughs> we are leaving the pack. Yeah. So it's kind of funny how it all goes – happens. but Yeah. Yeah. You
1: know, and I was uh, I was actually at uh, Fort Wachuka, which is like the military intelligence school in the early 2000s when they were like – the drones the were – uh in arizona when like drones were like first coming out and like the joke always was like people who were training to be drone pilots there at the same school as me it was like they were just like drone crashers because those things like just could barely fly and they were just like kind of unreliable i mean now they've come a long way but you know even in the early 2000s drone technology was like extremely bad um but anyways uh, we're gonna take another call gator you're on the line where are you calling from
5: hey guys um i'm over in the uk at the moment so we're Thanks very much for an interesting, uh, interesting show, and Abby I'd, I appreciate uh, your work since your RT days. I've, I, I think you always had an interesting editorial position. So uh, thanks for uh, thanks for your efforts in in sort of journalism. Thank you, Gary. Um, uh, if we, you just re- briefly um, talked about, you know, the the history of modern. Um, Reporting, So, you know, we can sort of start off in 47 with the Roswell incident and move forwards. And basically, in terms of a consistent profile, the military, military observers have always been involved. I mean, Stephen Greer, take him or leave him. You know, I, I, as an individual, I have no, uh, I don't assign much to him. But he did bring together ca- numerous accounts of military observers um, since about 47. And they consistently described phenomenon around nuclear installations in the US, where essentially missile silos and other facilities were directly interfered with in ways that they did not understand, including one as extreme as I think it, it ran like this, a glowing red ball over a missile mis- 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 silo fired down a beam of light, which was witnessed by about four people on the surface. Inside the control room, the entire system spun up to full firing capability and then it fully powered down. And I don't think they could switch it back on again. And then they obviously, after that event, the the ship departed or whatever it was, departed. A full investigation into the technology in that silo showed zero humanly identifiable defects with the system. So they could not understand the, the 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 incident. Now, if you track forwards to today's accounts from the F-18 pilots of Fravor and the Wizzo and um, and the Aegis class radar phaser array radar operator on the Princeton, they all consistently say that since these accounts 2004 and prior onwards, they have all um, they've been highly concentrated around uh, nuclear um carriers and the and the, and the, the battle groups and also beneath the surface of the water apparently the navy is the one that's actually staying quiet because uh, the navy has encountered far more unexplained underwater um issues and one of them came out in the press recently about um an object moving faster than the speed of sound underwater um, and obviously, when you take density into account, that is a, that is an incredibly high speed. Essentially, no human, no known human, publicly known human technology could have done that. But that's not the first time that that's been that's been put around. Now, why I'm saying all of this is just in case people listening didn't fully understand this. But why it, why it relates to this question I have about the Randall uh, the the aerial incident, the aerial incident claims that these people, um, the witnesses, were told something about the environmental issue. And that would potentially relate to this consistent theme of why, why, why do these things keep turning up and screwing with nuclear installations? What's that about? Now, the question I have is this, if we ask ourselves how um, the question of aliens with the power or extraterrestrial or, or perhaps even terrestrial but non-human entities have the ability to perform these tasks and appear in these ways, and they're concerned really about human trajectory of technology and how we treat our planet, why would their methodology be to appear to random people like Betty and Barney Randall, or whatever their name was, or these children in a school, give them a slightly mysterious, ambiguous experience that that, that the the world can't really actually latch onto, and and then disappear? If that really is your concern, is that humans are going to destroy planet Earth for some and and that is an important thing to avoid. Why would you use these forms of appearance and communication, which creates massive ambiguity that causes most people to dismiss it on on conspiracy theory? It's a great question, Mm -hmm. Gator.
0: I remember listening to those stories on Coast to Coast AM and scaring the shit out of me about all the nuclear installations, especially like right at the precipice of the Cold War um but i mean i've always wondered that myself why is it if if these are true accounts why can't these beans beam Be into just come into the fucking downtown manhattan man let's make it as well, unambiguous as
1: possible come down to the white house but uh, anyways uh yeah no randall, randall. We have the, what
2: are your thoughts on that well i no well so i think um when uh well just i mean I just know what it's like with wildlife because I do a lot awful lot of um wildlife photography and uh you know when 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 something's wild this this is our our problem here on our planet i think this is my personal opinion is we 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 don't think we're wild animals right um but to we are wild animals to a, another species and To to introduce yourself to our species here on this planet, um, you can't just bust in the door. We'll all freak out. So this is just my personal opinion, is that I feel like these small encounters on small levels all around the world, in every country, um, are... Just sort of laying the groundwork, so to speak, that we just get used to it and start talking about it mm-hmm. um, as far. As, and because, you know, if we go if we go to an, another planet that has life, we're going to be extremely careful. And we already are. It's part of NASA's mission is what you know, we don't want to introduce anything into the, that planet's environment. All those spacecraft, when they go into those atmospheres, are perfectly clean, biologically clean, you know so uh even in our own space program we can see that kind of uh sensitivity um and i would imagine that um another species coming here that is i mean just even um travel uh locally and you know in our solar system is a a huge uh a technological leap from where we're at um you know, at, 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 at a whim. Um, So I, I, I just think that um, something that far advanced would probably be very careful how they interact with us, but be also very, uh, paying very close attention to where we are on our technological edge. I mean, we're about to, we're getting, we've had our two spacecraft leave our solar system, you know, Voyager 1, Voyager 2. That's, that's a big deal. We're 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 moving out into the galaxy as a species. We're getting off our planet after thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, that's a big moment in time, and it's just happened in the last hundred years, really. You know, as far as our extreme technological jump. Um, you know, we may not realize. I don't know if you saw this, the film Jupiter Ascending, but there's a there's a line in there. Where this alien guy, whatever, is the girls all freaked out? It's an alien, and he he's like, you know, you're still you're the only planet that still thinks they're alone,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and and I think at, there will be a point in time that we're gonna laugh that we used to think that that we were the only life in the galaxy if we don't
0: blow up the world first, right? <laughs> per, the warning, per their warning.
2: Um,
1: Gator, thanks for your call. Yeah, and I think one of the things is like, you know, I don't don't know where I fall on all this stuff, so I'm not like advocating for a position but just what you were saying, Gator, about how like, you know, why would if they're delivering this message of we have to emergency save the planet, you know, why would they do it in that way? I don't think that that's what the kids in the aerial incident were saying and actually specifically some of them said that it wasn't a warning, it just was the feeling and the images they had when they were looking at what they were looking at. So it wasn't like this is a warning to tell you to turn things around. It was just what came into their minds when they were having this experience. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, if if you are dealing with something that's just a completely nev- another level of, of technology and something from somewhere else, it's the communication is not as simple as like human language communication and, and all of that. And so, you know, there's, you have to consider that there's no real agenda or anything. It could just be what you know, the resonance of whatever is happening. But anyways, we're going to take another time
0: as a loop, like the arrival. Ooh. It's just like, it's just like a flash of the future of just like the planet just being completely deforested. And you're like, Oh, sweet.
1: Cool. Right. Um, Gator, <laughs> thanks for your call. Hardy. We got you on the line. Where are you calling from Hardy? You are currently muted. There you go. There we go.
4: Hey guys. Uh, calling here from the farm, North of Boulder. Um, really appreciate your conversation. Happy holidays to everybody. Uh, and congrats, uh, Mike and Abby on the new family member coming in. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And Mike just been loving the eyes left, uh, resurgence. So, uh, keep on that. We're really enjoying it. Thanks, man. Yeah, and Randall, i uh, excited to check out this uh, documentary, and it just sounds like you have a badass life. I mean, you're doing this UFO <laughs> documentary. You're flying your plane and fixing it maybe in midair or something. You're wild. <laughs> like, uh, oh, man. Bad, so.
2: I wish it was glorious. <laughs> I wish it was. It's not. But
4: it's a um, lot of hard work. Yeah, yeah. And so, again, thanks for all your, your energy into this. And you guys had an interesting kind of breakdown a little bit of this idea of mass hysteria versus uh you know mass hallucination um and i think that the hysteria part we've seen in the witch trials and whatnot and uh, unless you're involved in like an nk ultra program a few decades ago you're probably not having some shared hallucination in some random town somewhere um <laughs> but i uh i've been familiar with this concept of like wetiko or wetiko uh, it's an indigenous concept about kind of the westerners dissociation from nature um and disconnect and they're like almost mass psychosis way, which I think mass psychosis is kind of something we're currently experiencing as we're going, uh, undergoing all this propaganda from all kinds of angles of the government and just not always knowing what's true, especially with regard to UFOs and whatnot. Um, and you see some like limited disclosure stuff from the government, or you see Hillary Clinton like almost rebranding the term UFO into UAP, like Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon and kind of uh, keeping us in this like mechanistic view of this whole experience. And, um, you know, the Zimbabwe experience kind of reminded me a little bit more of like the Phoenix lights, but a lot more intimate and and specific. Um, But I've had, you know, a couple of my own experiences and shout out to Brady and his comments and his story growing up. Um, But this idea of like some things I might have seen in the sky and whether that was with people or without, on any altering substances or not um but those experiences of are second almost to like a dream that i had that i felt was almost contact oriented and like sent sensory input to my spine and my dream more than any waking life moment that i've ever felt you know alive and so i'm just kind of curious for any thoughts on this nuts and bolts ufo um concept versus any like psycho-spiritual or consciousness-based Technology or energy that is immaterial in that way, and, and what do you guys think about that?
0: Can you describe the Watiko uh, phenomenon that you were discussing? Just like a, a little bit more what that is.
4: Yeah, so um, I heard about that um, through uh, a friend who was into Philip K. Dick, and this piece he put out, um, and it was like this veilless kind of like laser or, and I'm loosely, you know, paraphrasing here, but like some sort of beam of energy that like set his mind off and kind of, um, gave this experience of, um, that we're all stuck in this kind of karmic cycle with our choices and our upholding of, you know, the ideals of the propaganda or whatever those outputs are what are being asked of us, like how we're just, you know, playing into that script and narrative over time. And the native American concept blends with this in the, uh, just when we came over and they had this wonderful, peaceful way of life connected with all around them. You know, I was thinking about Fern Gully when he just talked about some stuff recently, but like this antagonism of the Western world and in industry versus that natural rhythm and how it was almost like from the native side was a, a perspective that we were under this illusion and this dissociation and in a way that like clouded our ability to just stay connected. And you know we've just my friend and I have just taken that concept and explored that musically, and just some thoughts about just how that is shaping our day to day quote consensus reality versus more of the innate reality around us um and that might lead into this narrative of you know the space force and our new enemy you know reagan era resurgence of of that conflict and um just kind of like again uh making that more of a warring complex, you know, us against them versus this more harmonious thing that these children perceived it as like this message to help, you know, kind of connect to the earth and, and reconnect to that versus some propagated like alien war kind of thing. And so this dissociation is just like setting us off further down the path for now. And it's just, uh, it feels visceral, even though it's kind of an abstract thing, but that's how I've, I've perceived it.
1: Hardy, thanks for that. Um, Randall, before I give you a chance to respond, I want to take our last caller on the line because I know we're running overtime uh, the time that we told you we wanted to have you on. So I want to take the last caller, see if you have any responses to uh, either of their comments um, and then some closing words and then we'll uh, get let you off the line and then we'll, we'll stay on with some people and play the trailer of your film. Uh, so Alex, sure. you're on the line, last caller. Where are you calling from? Hey guys, I'm calling from San Jose, California. Cool. Um, What's up, man? I just want to say thank you, Abby and Mike and Randall for doing this. It's a real pleasure. Um, my question is for Randall. I was just wondering, uh, as a filmmaker, how do you decide, you know, what, put it, what footage to put in and what footage to leave out on the cutting room floor? And is there any chance you could release all the raw footage of John Mack interviewing those kids? Because I find that the most, it gave me goosebumps, really, just
2: listening to
4: those kids talk. And, uh, yeah, that's my question
2: um thanks so much Alex should I answer that yeah (laughs) go for it um well part of the problem is that a lot of that footage is owned by individuals you know what I mean so I don't know how that can happen I'd love that to be the case because there's a a ton of it ton I mean not just John Mack but um the other people that had interviewed news organizations or journalists um but, you know, unfortunately in this world, it's, I mean, it's, it's the way it is. If you shoot something, you, you gotta, you know, if you want to use something, you gotta license it unless you shot it yourself or it's, you know, creative commons, free stuff. Um, um, The decisions around editing um, was to tell the story. Like, and I, you know, I could have tell, told the technical story dates, time, like really specific and, taking it more down the science road, but I was really taken by the human journey here. And I also, I felt like, you know, over the years I've had, you know, a lot of offers, so to speak, (laughs) uh, with some major players. Um, but they wanted to, um, uh, you know, put it into this genre of UFO movies, which have been pretty much the same sort of thing with special effects and, you know, that kind of um, woo-woo kind of thing. And when I was working on this story, I felt like, you know, why are we not telling these stories like we tell other stories? Because these people were really affected by this. So why why would you want to you know make it woo woo or you know what I mean, mm-hmm. like tell the human story so the the that decision and that was with chris Seward was uh my uh story editor, and he edited and him and I banged it out together uh after um, when i when he when he came on board and then with Rick degrees also and Rebecca Rideout, out, give me a shout um yeah, just amazing people, um, helped me, you know, not UFO people or anything. They were just regular filmmakers and, and, in, in their own rights. And, uh, but yeah, the story was, um, I, I felt like, uh, the decisions were made around, like, these are real people, you know, these are real emotions, real feelings, real thoughts that they've had. And, um, you know, you don't need special effects. And there's something really art. powerful
0: about that. There's something really powerful about letting the people speak for themselves. And yeah. over time, I mean, the generational timeline of this story and how it's, how much they're still impacted. And you feel that, I mean, it resonates with your heart. I mean, and that, and that's an important story to tell. And that's why you're a good storyteller is because you chose to take that route and let the found footage and the old footage in your new interviews speak for themselves. Because yeah. really nothing else needs to be said. I mean, you can go down the yeah. rabbit hole of all the debunking and the skepticism. But I think first you have to do due diligence and just watch the people's stories. Yeah. You know, take their
2: stories. I'm kind of ready for that. You know, the debunking crowd. I mean, I, I, kinda, I did all that work. So yeah. I can address any question, what was going on in space at the time, what was going, you know, there's some interesting things that are going to come out in the future about this. Um, so the other question about Watika, um, I actually ran into that in Africa, um, with the chiefs and different people from the village. I also, um, um, a Bushman, I was, uh, went camping in, the bush with for a week Cool. <laughs> one of the craziest things i ever did i went camping in the bush in a tent lions hy- hyenas were at our tent campsite every night uh just like 50 feet away just staring at us <laughs> <laughs> you could see their eyes lit up by the fire oh man it was crazy but um um but he you know they multiple people told me they thought we were crazy You know, that that the Western world had lost their mind that they got they got addicted to technology and that that road is not going to end well. And they I mean, I heard it multiple times and I'm like, God, they think we're freaking crazy, like that we've lost the plot. That's that was something Tim would say Um, or Nikki, um, (laughs) like lost the plot. Um, and I thought about that. I'm like, wow. Yeah. We're kind of are addicted to this whole technology latest thing. Instead of being connected to what's right out our back doors, which has been around forever <laughs> like nature and wildlife and, um, those rules that nature has had forever. And, and, um, I do feel like we've, we've lost a lot of connection to that. And that's not a good idea. The further you get away from your, the truth of nature, uh, bad things happen because it's just not the way life works, you know, on a base level. There are certain, you know, principles of life, I guess you could say, that exist uh, and have, you know, I've got six chickens. (laughs) Those things are 66 million years old, you know, they just found, you know what I mean? Like they're, they go back to before the the dinosaurs, um, the modern birds go back. Uh, They just made a discovery recently, even before the die off of the dinosaurs from the meteor strike. Um, But anyway, I just, I I really love that he asked that question or brought that up. Cause that is a real thing in the indigenous cultures um I've run into as well. And, and also with the Hopi and uh, the Navajo Um I did a jaunt out there. Cause I wanted to understand what, um how they felt about um, this phenomenon anyway. Well, I couldn't agree and,
0: more with you. And when you look into what indigenous cultures are practicing and how they interact with the environment it it teaches us a lot and it is pretty much the answer to how we can build a sustainable world moving forward randall we've moved so far Mm -hmm. off base and it is Mm -hmm. it is pretty scary to see kind of this arrogance this exceptionalism um of our own superiority to that of nature when we are completely part of nature and that's not a good road to go down
2: no and bunkers are not going to save you (laughs)
0: <laughs> seed vaults and flights to mars are not gonna save us here guys let them uh, try though let the millionaires <laughs> yeah. try go for it man yeah go yeah, to yeah. Mars. get out of <laughs> here elon and all these other other people we don't we don't need you here man um we just need to go back to our indigenous roots here and let them teach us the way randall nickerson aerial uh-huh. phenomenon where can people find the film um any closing words to take us out here
2: um, you can find the film on Amazon and, uh, pretty much every platform now, or you can go to my, uh, website, aerial com. You can learn some more about it. Um, I'm not a very good salesman. I'm sorry, but uh, that's my focus. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, I mean, I, you know, I made this, I, I, you know, when I first made this film, I, I, and I still have it on my wall. It was like, I want to make a film for the world. And. I wanted, my biggest dream was like to win Sundance, you know, that hasn't happened. Um, but, uh, but I, it, you know, I just feel like, uh, uh, what we, it's, I don't, I don't know exactly how to say it. It's just, uh, I think we, um, I hope the film, you know, uh, starts to uh, unravel, uh, this phenomenon and I want to help um, in that process in any way I can. And I also want to be helpful to the people that have gone through this, that have gone through ridicule and God, you know, there's so many people who nobody even knows it's happened to them or they've had an encounter. Um, there's a, there's a, a deeper tragedy that's gone on that nobody even knows about um, with uh you know like with anything like when you keep it in the closet not a good thing and it's you know why should we keep all these people in a closet um when they're terrified to speak about it um so that's all i you know you guys are great i really appreciate um speaking with both both of you you're just um wise it was a great
0: time My friend, it was a really great time. It was an honor to speak to you. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you to all the callers. We appreciate you tuning in. Randall, you did it, man. Pat yourself on the back. You made a great documentary. You told a very fascinating, captivating story that's piqued a lot of people's interest for a long time. And it was an important body of work that you put together. So I hope that you revel in that completion. Um, Take some time to for yourself man um check it out phenomenon. aerial phenomenon check it out all over aerial the...
1: phenomenon.com it's uh i-e-l rather than i-a-l aerial like the name phenomenon.com also on twitter at aerial phenomenon and instagram at aerial phenomenon so follow them there and uh randall thanks so much for your time joining us today
2: thank you i appreciate it yeah thanks Randall. cheers guys cheers. be well
0: good luck all right you guys thanks we're gonna you. we're gonna lead you out here with the trailer to aerial phenomena.
1: A little three-minute trailer here. Everyone, check out the film. Very cool. Let us know what you think about it.
5: Hundreds of people today phoned the ZBC saying they sighted an unidentifying flying object. It was a bright, radiant light. I've never seen anything like it in my life. It
3: was the absence of noise It didn't write.
5: People from all over Zimbabwe were phoning the BBC to say... We've seen something weird. There were three of us that saw it: Myself, the co-pilot, and the pilot in the other aircraft. No wings, no nothing. Shiny over oh thing. Aerial school, 19th September, 94. Could you tell me what you saw on Friday?
1: The silver thing in amongst this clump of, of trees. We saw this black figure running. His, his face was like this, and his eyes were down here. I
0: just thought it was some kind of alien from a different
5: planet. When you looked at those children, they were absolutely credible. And whereabouts was it?
2: There was a big group of kids pointing and making a noise and shouting and screaming.
5: The panic spread. Am I safe or am I not safe? He's a Harvard psychiatrist.
2: Meet Dr. John Mack, a believer in aliens from outer space. We came away convinced that an extraordinary event occurred here. I think they want
0: people to know that we're actually... Making harm on this world.
2: How did that get communicated to you?
5: It came through my head.
2: Somehow there was a message about pollution from the way he was staring. Yes. I was just a hard-ass
5: journalist. I could handle war zones, but I could not handle this UFO thing.
2: I mean, I never felt this could derail my career. The dean wanted to know what is he doing? Angels, yes. Extraterrestrials, no. John is
3: lost at this time. This journey is literally to pick up the pieces and put them back together. Oh my gosh. I was right on the logs when it actually happened. You are the ones who drew those funny pictures.
1: Something that I'll never ever forget.
2: I've drawn this again.
5: That's how I usually kept it quiet. People think
2: you're crazy.
4: My husband doesn't even know about it. You feel so alone in society.
2: Why is it that we tend to want to shrink this powerful phenomenon to our notions of reality rather than being able to stretch ourselves to expand what we know and to admit that we don't know would you like to see him again
4: yes
2: and if you saw him again what would you do
4: i'll ask him some questions what would you like to ask him
1: i'll ask him what is he doing on earth and what does he want with us